0: Before we get to today's 5 Reasons Podcast, I want to tell you about our sponsor, X-Miami. The new X-Miami apartment community is the most fun and convenient place to live for modern Miami locals. It's right across from Bayfront Park and American Airlines Arena, rent starting in just the 1200s, including a huge gym and two-level co-working space. The lobby is a coffee shop and cocktail lounge, and the pool deck is insane. There's also an app. To manage mobile keys packages social events and your thermostat your new home is available fully furnished or you can rent by bedroom mention five reasons sports for a discount at move-in learn more at xmiami.co that's xmiami.co and now on with the show
2: welcome into the five reasons podcast i am ethan skolnick here as always With Chris Whittingham, this is episode 43. Thank you for finding us. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, CastBox, several other apps. And make sure to subscribe and also go back through our library. We've got a lot of episodes that have held up for a very long time, and we've got a lot of cool stuff coming this week, including a Heat Stories episode with Ron Rothstein, the first coach of the Miami Heat. That'll be a lot of fun. Also, check out our Twitter feed, at Five Reason Sports, that's the number five, Five Reason Sports. We've got stuff going on there all day long. We also allow the other people in our network, our other affiliates, Ballscast, Three Yards Per Carry, and Miami Heat Beat, to have chats there. And they tag those chats so you can follow all the information there, ask your questions, get them answered. And one more thing here wanted to mention, the Three Yards Per Carry podcast, which released today, you will not find more detailed Dolphins draft analysis anywhere in South Florida and the guys even make their predictions for who will be the Dolphins pick at number 11 if they stay there. So certainly subscribe to three yards per carry. And again, you can find the links for that on our Twitter feed. All right, now let's get back to the Miami heat. We've been doing episodes after every heat game, Chris, there are no more heat games. We've had a couple of days now to kind of sort of look at the entire big picture here and what heat players, executives, coaches did during this season. So on our Twitter feed, At Five Reason Sports yesterday, I put up a bunch of polls for 10 different people, eight players, an executive and a coach had people vote. We got a lot of feedback on this. People love polls. They love grades. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through some of the grades that were given here, and we're going to give our own and say whether or not we think they're fair. There's a couple here that I think are dead on. There's one in particular, which we're going to save for last, that I think might be a little bit unfair because of recency bias. So let's get right back into it. We're not doing this in in five parts today. We're going to break from format. It's really 10 different pieces. And I thought before we get to the players on this one, let's start with the guy who picks the players, right? And what the rating is from Heat fans on him. And we got near 300 votes on this one. And this is how it came in, Chris. 13% of the people who voted on the poll gave Riley an A. 26% gave him a B. 47% gave him a C. 14% gave him a D or F. So the consensus here is C for Pat Riley. Is that fair?
0: Yes. And I think he only gets a C because of his reputation. I think when we're talking about a situation where, The Heat have only bad options to choose from for their immediate future. It means mistakes were made at executive level. And if it basically wasn't an executive with carte blanche who was never going to never under, you know, danger being fired or even at times being criticized, I think criticism of Pat Riley is so rare from Heat fans or in general, even in the context. I mean, let's be honest, right? In the space of three years. Now, one of them was because of an illness that no one could have seen coming, but lost LeBron lost Dwayne in the space of three years And in some respects, it was because of his inflexibility. Now, that inflexibility is the part of the culture that I think a lot of Heat fans gravitate towards is, no, you got to do it the Heat way. And I think that ends up wearing on a lot of people, but... I think it also creates this Dwayne Wade hoodie that he's now selling for $74 with Life Brand, which is, I'm for, you know, Miami's not for everyone and I'm from Miami, whatever the, the phrase was. But that's born out of Pat Riley being stubborn and difficult at times with his ways and his methods. So I think when you look at that broader level, the fact that he didn't really take that much of a popularity hit from losing the entirety of the big three in the space of two years, again, some of that was the illness to Chris Bosh. LeBron had other things to do and then Dwayne, I would say you can directly pin that on Pat Riley. But I think when you look at the Heat's lack of flexibility at the moment, now heading towards a season where you got eliminated in 5 games and after kind of doubling down on that 31 and 10 team in the second half of the season, that's not who they were. They were an average team and I think a lot of people could have seen that coming if you weren't blinded by the emotion. I think In some respects, the emotion got him, but in some respects, all right, I have to justify this culture that I'm selling, and if I rehabilitate guys' careers, I then have to reward them for it. I'm surprised that that was the tactic that he went with, but either way, that is the way that he went, and I think now you look at the inflexibility towards the future, and that's where the C and the DF grades come from, is that they don't like where we are now, and they
2: don't like where they're going to be in a few years' time. The one thing we talked about on the pod with George Sedano when we had him on comparing the Lakers situation to the Heat situation was that Magic Johnson is following the Riley way and Riley is not following the Riley way. And and I think that's what happened this year. You know, the Lakers decided to get more flexible, be more patient in terms of sort of trying to seize the big kill, basically, you know, that that's what they're going for this offseason. And they've put themselves in position to have a chance to do that. And Riley has gone completely the other direction. And I I don't think the problem was what he did post-Dwayne in terms of bringing in those guys on the short deals. And, you know, let's be fair to him on this. They were pretty good choices by them at the end of free agency, right? Like Dwayne doesn't decide to stay in the summer of 2016. And they were able to get guys who were effective players for them, right? Yeah. Deion Waiters on a short deal. James Johnson was effective for them. Wayne Ellington was effective for them. I mean, even Luke Babbitt, which they made a, a minor trade, you know, gave them something. He was a starter during the run the second half of that season. And you even look at, the, you know, the selection of Linux this offseason as someone they wanted to target after they didn't get Hayward and, and the Celtics were parting ways with Linux to make room for Hayward. You know, that turned out pretty well, too. So I don't think it was a, a talent evaluation Problem in terms of finding guys who fit the Heat culture, clearly they did that. And even with Dion, a guy who you would not think would fit the Heat culture, um, had the best 30 game stretch of his career. The problem was not understanding why all of that happened, and that even if it happened again, it was probably the best that it was ever going to be for those guys. And so then to, to sort of pay them. And again, this is what happened with both Tyler Johnson and Asan Whiteside, where they got massive production for the money for those two guys. Right. I mean, particularly Whiteside, but Tyler also. But then, you know, then there's a cut bait moment. And instead of cutting bait with any of these guys, Riley is, as you said, decided to not double down, like quadruple down on them, all of them. and And that's so unlike the Riley way, except for one part of this. And I'm, again, referring to other pods that are in our library here because might as well promote the other pods. But when we had Jason Jackson on the show with us, one of the things we talked about during that Heat Stories episode was that Riley is much more sentimental than people believe. And that's played itself out, Chris, numerous times over the course of his career. Staying with the Tim Hardaway, Alonzo Mourning, P.J. Brown, Jamal Mashburn team – at least one year longer than he should have before he blew it up to get Eddie Jones, Brian Grant and Anthony Mason. And that might have worked if his hadn't have gotten sick. OK, that was one example running back. The 2006 championship team the next year when anybody who covered that team could have told you that that thing was going to blow up the next year. I mean, as Eric Reed talked about on one of our – or we talked about with Eric Reed on one of the pods, Antoine Walker said he was in the locker room after they won the championship in 2006 that he was going to keep drinking until training camp, and he probably did because he came in (laughs) out of shape, as did James (laughs) Posey. They both got suspended. Gary Payton had had enough. And Shaq was miserable. He won the title. That was what he came here to do. And after that, he was complaining about everything and didn't want to play. So anybody who was covering that team in 2006 knew they'd caught lightning in a bottle. And you knew that bringing that whole team back was not a great idea. And he did anyway because he was sentimental towards that team because they won a championship. And now you see that play out again this time. So, again, I don't think it's a talent or culture evaluation problem for Pat in this case. I just think it's being, A, too sentimental, and B, basically deciding, well, there's nothing else we can really do. Let's just be competitive.
0: Yeah. And to me, I I often get criticized for saying, well, what would you have done? And what I would have done is try and replicate the same thing you did in 2016, right? Which was, all right, Dwayne leaves. We're in a panic. What do we do? Let's just try and find... Basically, they just signed whoever was available. And I think they did it like all on one Sunday. They matched Tyler Johnson. They signed James Johnson. They signed all the guys who ended up building up the nucleus of that team. But then, like you said, once it becomes overvalue rather than undervalue, that's when you cut bait. And to me, the thing that Pat Riley can be criticized for the most is not really having vision. And when he signed Hassan Whiteside to that extension, obviously he wanted to preserve the asset. But... He, I think, got caught not realizing where the league was going and moving away from bigs, and particularly his kind of big, which wasn't athletic enough to keep up with the game. The other thing that I think has now caught him, and I think it's caught some other NBA teams, so I'm not going to criticize him, but Pat Riley is this legend who's you know, meant to see things. And I think a lot of teams now can be criticized for not seeing coming a shortage of cap space, a buyer's market that now exists into this upcoming offseason, where if you're the one team with cap space, you're going to be able to do a lot with it because everyone blew their cap space in 2016. The Heat didn't blow their cap space in 2016. They blew it in 2017. So when you say to me, all right, so what would you have done? Here were some of the contracts from around the league that ended up producing a fair amount of value for the teams that signed them. Now, this player didn't do it with the team that he signed with. They did it with Philly. It was Ersan Ilyasova, one year, $6 million. Jeff Green, one year, 2300000 million. It's been a contributor for Cleveland. And look, a million teams have gone through Jeff Green. I'm not saying he's part of the future, but what I'm saying is you just keep doing the one-year rental so you keep giving yourself a chance to go and sign a major money-free agent. Anthony Tolliver, one year three point three million with the Detroit Pistons this offseason. Luke Richard and Bamute, who's now a big piece that just got injured in Houston. One year two point one million dollar contract with Houston. Mike Scott, who's coming off the bench for the Washington Wizards, one year one point seven million. Tyreek Evans who has played a decent role for the Memphis Grizzlies. One year, $3.3 million. Even Rajon Rondo, who I know maybe Heat fans wouldn't have been a fan of, and it's another player like Danny Cranger or Kelly Olynyk that you've rooted against in the past that you don't want to root for. But $3.3 million for Rondo when you don't have a backup point guard? That's pretty damn decent to me. Trey Burke signs a two-year deal with the New York Knicks. He's been a decent contributor for them. Justin Holiday signed a two-year, a $9 million contract with the Chicago Bulls. You mean to tell me that if the, the difference between you and the Bulls isn't significant enough to where you can sort of say to Justin Holiday, hey, you don't have to play for a tanking team. So when people say to me, well, what would you have done? I think the answer is, well, go again. Try and find the next James Johnson. Try and find the next Dion Waiters. And that, for me, was the mistake that Pat Riley made this summer.
2: Yeah, I agree with all that. I mean, that's a great list. I mean, you can make an argument when you put that list together and you put it against uh, Waiters, James Johnson and, you know, again, Tyler Johnson, you can make an argument that you would be. Just fine with those guys some of those guys that you mentioned um and and
0: and it might have taken longer for them to gel right because we saw part of the 11 and 30 start was there's this whole new team that you're trying to piece together and it's a pretty tough thing to ask of eric spolster to continue and form together new teams year over year but to me it's way more important to have long-term flexibility than the difference between 39 and 45
2: wins in a regular season that ultimately is going nowhere And also the difference between 39 and 45 wins is also maybe a couple of draft slots. And if you're watching Donovan Mitchell right now, (laughs) and Well, I mean, in in fairness to them, they don't have a first-round pick this year. So that that, that, that wouldn't have been part of the consideration. That's true. So it wouldn't have played into it this year. But in other years, when they they have one again, that does play into it. And so, I mean, I guess you could have rolled it out another year. All right, let's move to the next guy. And I I thought this was interesting here, Chris, because I think if you were to ask most Heat fans, who do you trust more, just based on what we see on Twitter— I mean, you would agree that it's Riley over Spolstra, right? I mean, just in terms of the average Heat fan? Man, because I, I still see
0: so many people that criticize Spolster on Twitter. Yeah, I, I, would say, I, I would say your average Heat fan, I would say at the moment, the approval rating is higher for Spolstra, Just because even in the context of you had some expectations for this team to make the playoffs, for me, they're still wild overachievers. I still think based off the talent that's on their roster – there are teams that didn't make the playoffs that have Kemba Walker and Andre Drummond on it, who would be the best player on the Miami Heat. So the the fact that they've pieced this together with career journeymen, young players that don't exactly have big pedigree, I'm going to go ahead and say that Eric Spolster is still doing a brilliant job.
2: And you can argue, too, that uh, with Denver, I know they had more wins than Miami, but Jokic would be the best player on the Heat. And so would Porzingis, too, if he was healthy. So, yeah, I mean, I think you look at all of those pieces and you look at what Eric's done, uh, I think Eric's done a good job. I don't think he had a great series, and we talked about that a lot on the previous pod. Uh, but, but i think hes he 's maximized this roster, and this has gone to more of a development culture in part because he 's got the staff he wants now and this is and he 's big on the d league or the g league i 'm sorry, and that 's all been a spulster push i mean that hasn 't been a pat push that 's been a spulster push here 's what it came in on eric thirty nine percent a forty seven percent b twelve percent c and two percent D or F. Again, I don't know how you give him a D or F for coaxing a playoff appearance and a sixth seed out of this roster. I, uh, uh, but, I, I did see a tweet, I think I mentioned it on the
0: last pod too, but someone said that Dwayne Wade should retire because he shouldn't want to play for the
2: worst coach in the league. So I feel like right. that guy is the guy <laughs> who voted D <D/F>. slash <laughs> F. He's that guy, right. So uh, so the overall average on this, uh, if you really look at it, it, was probably about a B plus um, that people had Spolster. When you when you look at 86% of people having him an A, or a B, I don't have a problem with that. I think, again, I agree with you in the sense of he's done good work with a limited roster and a roster that has a lot of nice pieces, but as we're going to see as we go through some of these grades here, a lot of B to B minus players and trying to make them fit. And we saw also that fit is a problem with some of these guys, because the problem with a lot of them is they're not multidimensional. So if you go with certain combinations, you're going to sacrifice offense. If you go with certain combinations, you're going to sacrifice defense. And that's why I'm you know not going to kill him too much for what I thought was really not, a very well-conceived starting lineup that he was using in the postseason. Because I don't know what the great starting lineup would be. So, you know, I think B-plus is about right for Eric. Is that, before we move on to the players, is that about what you would have it at? Fine for me. I mean, I think uh, as a regular season coach
0: or as an overachieving coach, he's an A, but... I would say, based off of what happened in the playoff series, did take a
2: slight hit? So let's get to some of the players here. We're going to go through these quicker. Let me just go through the polls. You tell me where you would have them and if you agree. We'll start with Dwayne here. I think there's a little bit of a sentimental vote on this one. But A, 59%. B, 37%. C, 4%. 0% for D or F. That's about an A- minus that averages out, too. What do you think? I'm okay with it. I mean, just because, again, you mentioned the
0: sentimental element, but also because... Of the expectations, you got him for a second-round pick six years from now that is probably not going to convey, and you're not paying him any money. And so you have your, your franchise's all-time legend on no money, on fairly low expectations after being let go by two teams in just this season, and so... What would have represented something bad? I mean, if he had had zero games where he sort of created the impact or, I mean, even then, like you still get the moments of cheering from coming off the bench. The fact that he won you a playoff game, the fact that he had a couple of the moments that he loves and the fans love, I mean, what more could you have asked for in terms of uh, within the context of what he was going to give you at this age in those circumstances I just think you, you sort of think of Dwayne Wade as someone who's here for sentimental reasons, and he delivered on those sentimental
2: reasons. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's fair too, and it was amazing how the numbers flipped in the playoffs, and that's going to be the big question with him coming back. We addressed this on the previous pod about whether we think he will, you think he will, I think he won't, but we'll see how that plays out, and we'll cover that on future ones. All right, let's move on to some other guys here. Uh, Kelly Olynyk, 39% A, 51% B, 9% C, C. D or F. So people have him pretty much as a B player this year. I I think that's pretty reasonable. I I think they got decent value for that contract. It was better than I expected in a lot of ways. And he fits Spolster's offense. They were able to run that dribble handoff game with him. And you can see him being a long-term core piece. He's not a star, but he's certainly, I think, a, a useful rotation player on a good team yeah
0: and relatively young too given the fact that you sign him in free agency he'll be 29 in the last year of that deal but if i you look at the numbers and so you think a 4 for 50 as a big number it's the same it's the same thing as the Tyler Johnson contract and again if Tyler Johnson was on Kelly Olinick's contract you wouldn't feel so bad about it because he's do 11.1 next year 11.6 the year after that and 12.2 on a player option the year after that so this is not only a good contract it is a tradable contract and what for me on the heat Foster, other than Justice Winslow, still on his rookie deal, and maybe Josh Richardson represents the best value that the Heat have on a long term contract right now. I would say they about nailed this one,
2: and the only reason why his approval rating wasn't higher is because he didn't do a ton in the postseason. So you mentioned Tyler Johnson now, so let's get to him 1% A, 18% B, 60% C, 21% D or F. So that's basically a C minus. For Tyler Johnson. I thought he took a little bit of a step back this year. Uh, He is hurt a lot, not his fault, but he tends to have sort of a lot of nagging situations that he goes through and then again did in the postseason. I think he was exposed a little bit in the postseason. It was difficult really to figure out who he should guard. I think one of the problems that the Heat have is they have a lot of small guards In in a league. We always talk about the leagues getting smaller. But the guards aren't necessarily getting smaller. It's the bigs that are getting smaller, at least playing differently than they used to, and teams playing with more wings on the floor. But I, I think it's challenging, especially in a series against a team that has a six foot ten point guard like Philadelphia does, to play Tyler Johnson for extended minutes. I don't think he's been phased out quite like Whiteside has, but to a certain degree, I think C- is probably about right for him, Chris.
0: Yeah, and I think this is one of those things, too. I mean, I wonder how the Heat fans thought about this, because obviously the contract is such a major talking point around Tyler Johnson that you can't really get around it when discussing him. But also, I agree with you. I thought from a performance point of view, his numbers weren't good enough. And just sort of on the whole, it was pretty underwhelming. You wanted to see improvement from him. And it just hasn't come yet. And I think you look at... Now you're staring down the barrel of the contract ballooning. He was 36.7% from three this year, which is decent enough. But I just thought, in general, it didn't make enough impact... As a starter, he had the opportunity. He had the opportunity to start and didn't do a ton with it. And now you get into the calamitous bit where I think the next two years he is an F, a strong, strong F, based off of making nineteen point. Actually, I'm just going to give the whole number because I, I think I, I like it better this way: nineteen million two hundred forty-five
2: thousand three hundred seventy dollars for the next two seasons. I mean, it's it's nuts. It's nuts. And, and the other thing, you know, we're not even talking about Dion Waiters here in this section, but with Dion coming back and again, what they decide to do with Dwayne, I don't even know where Tyler's minutes are going to come from. Consistently, And so that's going to become an even bigger issue. I mean, the fans won't turn on him the way they've turned on Whiteside because they find him, I think, generally more likable than Whiteside. But it's still going to be a challenging situation. I think any time you talk about effort with a player is when you
0: – particularly when they're on big money is when mm-hmm. you start – and I think people just look at Whiteside and see a lack of effort. I'm not actually sure that it's a lack of effort, but uh, but the people see that particularly because of the way that he runs. He's a bit oafish going up and down the floor. So I think – it, whereas with Tyler Johnson, you'll never accuse him of not trying to play through pain or not giving effort.
2: Those are the two things that you know you're going to get. But at times, that's just not good enough. All right, let's get to Josh Richardson here. Much more favorable reviews on Josh. 37% A, 51% B, 11% C, 1% DNF. I, I don't know what that person or those couple people were watching this year. So basically projects to about a B plus, maybe even an A-. minus. For Josh Richardson, I would put him there. I I think the only disappointment with Josh this year is that his production and his aggressiveness offensively tailed off as the season went on. You look at that December he had, that was an A to A minus December. I mean, he had a terrific December. And we've talked about this on previous pods. I mean, his, his production was what suffered most with Dwayne coming in, whereas Winslow's production went up, Josh's production went down. And so you've got to figure out, other than being a really good defensive player, which clearly he is at this stage, what is his role offensively, going forward. I think if he's your third option offensively, you've got a pretty damn good team. I don't know if he's a guy that you can count on to be your first or second option.
0: Yeah, and I think, you, to me, one of the concerns uh, from my point of view with him is actually his two-point percentage, because from three, he was pretty efficient. On, on the year, shot 38%, but from less than five feet, it's 59%, which you want to see that number a bit higher, and then further and further into mid-range. I don't think he's been efficient enough for a player who has got some size, got some finishing ability and is shooting a decent three point percentage. So with a decent three point percentage you want to see him around 47, 48% and so I think from a from an efficiency point of view, he can improve, struggled in the playoff series and like you said, struggled after Dwayne Wade came in. Now, again, this might not be a problem if Dwayne Wade decides to retire. But if we're talking about next season, a team with Dwayne Wade in it, we talk, we've talked a lot about the minutes balance that it's going to require. He's going to have to figure out a way to coexist with Dwayne Wade and not defer to him. And I think that's the thing that a lot of Heat players struggle with when playing with Dwayne Wade. And it was an argument that I was, ha- I was having on radio with Mark Hockman this week where I was saying to well, he was saying, well, th- this team only won a playoff game because of Dwayne Wade. And I said, well, you can't really know what a playoff game would have looked like without Dwayne Wade. It's kind of a Schrodinger's cat thing where you can't know what the Heat would have played like in a playoff game because all of a sudden if you're just conceding that Dwayne Wade is going to carry you home, then you're relieving yourself of that burden. I would have liked to have seen Josh Richardson with that burden or James Johnson with that burden. Would they feel like, all right, I have to take this. I have to own this. And for me, that was the one element of Dwayne Wade coming in that felt wasted on the rest of the roster was allowing other Heat players to to take on that burden, to want that burden of getting the Heat there in a playoff game. And I think Josh Richardson would have been the one that would have been most likely to step up and do it. I think he has still a pretty significant amount of room to grow as an
2: offensive player. Yeah, Chris, I mean, to me, that's the, the the big thing for Josh is, like you said, coexisting with other players on the floor and particularly someone who has a strong personality like Dwayne while still sort of carving out his own identity. And so, you know, Josh has made incremental improvement. I think that's if we talk about contracts, that's a fair contract, right, in terms of going forward. I mean, that's pretty good value for a guy that gives you what Josh is where we're talking about him as a potential all defensive team candidate. That's a pretty valuable deal. So I think all of that is positive for Josh. But yeah, the question is, how does he become December Josh Richardson for a longer stretch of time during a season? And can you count on him becoming that? Because we did see it flip a little bit in the second half of the season where Rook 1 emerged a little bit more and Rook 2 sort of went to the background a little bit. And so I think that's something to watch going forward. So let's get to this show is sponsored by BetterHelp.
0: Every time.
1: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Rook
2: one. Chris, that's Justice Winslow. And I think if we had pulled this two, three weeks ago, it would look a lot different. Right. Uh, I mean, right. I mean, we would we would be looking at a situation where people would be calling him bustus as they tend to do on Twitter. Some still do. And I think he'd be grading out mostly with C's. And I think you might even see some DF's because people are just frustrated that he's not a lead guy. Right. And when you draft someone 10th overall and you're so excited about him falling to you because he wasn't supposed to fall to you and you get offered six draft picks by Danny Ainge for that selection. And he's just a complimentary player. I think people are frustrated with that. But. You look at the numbers now after the playoff series that he had, 22% A, 54% B, 22% C, 2% D or F. So basically people have him as a B player right now. And again, I think that's because people are grading him at like an A- for the playoffs. And, and it's a little bit of recency bias. But I think we saw things, Chris, in the postseason that he can build on. And the shooting, as you've talked about often, and his confidence stepping into it, but also the finishing, which for me is the big thing with him. Because he has the ability to get to the rim. He adjusts his body well enough. He's physical. He has enough quickness. He's got a little bit of Dwayne game in him too because I think he's watched Dwayne so much and they developed that relationship really early and I remember in Justice's first year, they would work a lot together after practice, on Euro steps, on some of those sort of old man moves that Justice has now incorporated. So he has all of that. So I think as he becomes a better finisher and a better shooter, you add that to the defense, you add that to the fact he's 21 years old, there's really something to build on. I think when you incorporate the playoffs in this grade, I think B is about right.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of funny, and look, I I use numbers all the time, but I think they can be overused. His playoff numbers weren't very good. You look at his overall field goal percentage, 35.7% from the field. If I told you someone's shooting 30, 36% from the field, now 37% from three, and those numbers did look better. But within five feet with six of 15, which we've talked about all the time with Winslow, is one of his Achilles heels from you know varying spots from three. It seems like the above the break on the right is a decent place for him to shoot. But again, and you look at uh, on a sort of per minute basis, rebounded well in the series and, and did some decent playmaking at two and a half assists per game. And then on a per 36 minute basis was at 3.7 assists. So it was about, he's uh, a 14 and nine and a half player on 36% from the field. We've talked a lot about his plus minus over the course of the series. And I think those numbers were, I would say, a wrong indication of how he played in the series. But on the whole, He's still a decent player. And and that, for me, is the concern is going forward, is does he make that jump from decent? And he looked good in this playoff series from my point of view right now I'm saying as an analysis that was also a product of low expectations I don't expect much out of Justice Winslow perhaps harshly but I don't believe him to be someone who's going to make significant improvements or make the kind of improvements that we're talking about so I think you look going forward he's still for me someone that I think is is even a question and we can talk about this maybe in a future episode where we get into kind of the future of the franchise but Justin Winslow is also someone you have to consider. His contract is up at the end of the season, and you can sign him to an extension, and maybe they'll do that in the offseason. What's that going to look like? What's it going to cost? Do they make him test the open market? Because he's still a very difficult player to figure out, right? Like, how good is he? If I said to you, okay, Justin Winslow can be the blank best player on on a good team, what would that number be? Three, four, five? I, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't know what that number is.
2: Yeah, I think when they drafted him, I I think maybe they were looking at him as a guy who could be a one or a two guy. I remember an interview I did with Justice – before his second season, where he said, I want to be the face of the franchise. I think I can be the face of the franchise. I don't know that he's that kind of player. And it it reminds me a little bit of what some scouts told me when he was drafted by the Heat. And they're like, that's the perfect place. He's got Chris Bosh. He's got Goran Dragic. He's got Dwayne Wade. He can be a complimentary piece. He can excel in that role. I mean, a comparison that came up with him was was Shane Battier. They said, this is a guy who you're never going to go wrong with him on the floor for extended minutes. He's going to guard the best player on the other team. He'll eventually develop as a shooter. So he'll knock down a shot, maybe not quite the same the level that Shane did, but it's sort of that type of player. But like if Justice Winslow turns into just into Trevor Ariza, that's a useful player right on a good team. So is he that? Is he something more? I'm not I'm not quite sure at this point, but I do think we keep forgetting again that he's 21 years old. And, uh, you know, look, if you look at the stats and I know it was low volume, but Kawhi Leonard started his career 38%, 38%, 38% from three. Those were his first two years. Justice went 25%, 20%, and then this year jumped to 38%. Has it taken him a little bit longer to get there than Kawhi? Yes, but I just think it's too early to make a definitive assessment about justice. And I know people say that's a cop out, but I just think that to me, that's what the playoffs proved this year was that, and you've talked about this from your own perspective, that maybe we've just made a decision on justice too soon in terms of deciding what he can be. And maybe he never becomes the top end player that people are hoping he becomes, but maybe he hasn't maxed out. I still haven't seen enough progress and understanding, right? He's 22 years old, right? And
0: players grow, But I still haven't seen enough. It's been three seasons now. There's also been major injuries along the way. And I think once you get to season three, if you haven't really emerged as someone who's going to be leading a team, I just think he's... A role player to supersized role player. And I was expecting more, and I still don't think... You mentioned the Kawhi numbers. You mentioned the outside shooting numbers. I don't trust it enough, and he doesn't do enough else on the offensive end. He does little things well, right? And I I always talk... I always hear it from Heat fans, right? Where it's, oh, but he sets great screens, and he's a great passer, and all that stuff. Doesn't finish efficiently enough. Doesn't shoot efficiently enough. And I just don't think, as an offensive player, like to me, unless you're Westbrook who can overcome efficiency in that way or figures out other ways to do it, to me he's a role player. And I'm always going to view him as a role player and one that I find frustrating because I probably got a wrong impression from what his college numbers were and what his college performances were. And I thought he was going to be a better player than what he's become. And also, you mentioned the six picks. If one of those was a Brooklyn pick... (laughs) <laughs> and you didn't take a Brooklyn pick for Justice Winslow. That is a that is a giant mistake.
2: Yeah, there's been different stories about that. I don't think it was the Brooklyn pick, the one that we talk about all but, the time. But but all all of the Brooklyn picks became Brooklyn picks, if you know what I, I Like I, right, I, like one no, one no, I understand, but I think the way it was explained to me was that one of them was didn't wasn't there a, there was swap, a pick swap pick? Yeah, yeah, Brooke, yeah. Right, it was a pick swap. So but the pick swap was the but no, but the
0: pick swap was the one that ended up being the number one overall pick.
2: Oh, Okay. All right. I'll have to re. I'll have to revisit my sources on that. Yeah. Uh, because the heat, the, heat, the heat has framed this differently over the years. I think as it's begun to look worse. So, um, so and- the
0: first one. The first one ended up being three overall, which is what what the Celtics used to take Jalen Brown. And then this past year was the pick swap that ended up giving Boston the number one overall pick, which they traded down to go and get Jason Tatum. And then this year they have the unprotected first round pick, which I forget where Cleveland or uh, where Brooklyn finished in the standings, but I think it's somewhere in the top six, maybe Yeah, I I think there were six or seven. Yes. Yeah. So either either way, I mean, obviously, you know, hindsight's 2020. So they ended up with the eighth best lottery odds. So whichever pick it was, it was a, a top eight pick and to me, the thing that is also frustrating with it is that, yeah, okay, so maybe the other four picks were pretty bad, but you've seen what the Heat have done with second-round picks, what the Heat have done late in the draft or in the middle of the draft. I mean, this is a good drafting and developing team, and maybe they didn't have that reputation in 2016, but 2016 was also, or was it, no, 2015, yeah, 2015 was around the time that Whiteside had come in, and so I think that the Heat particularly with that offer as as the juxtaposition. And also, we're talking about the Heat having a rival in Boston that is sort of this growing giant. If they take away some of what makes Boston a growing giant, then they're sort of basically set Boston on this different path than where they've headed, which is heading towards being a dominant team in the East. And the luck of the Heat not accepting that offer is part of the reason
2: why. Well, you mentioned uh, here you know, that you think Justice is a supersized role player. One of the problems for the Heat going forward is they just paid a ton of money to a supersized role player, and they paid a ton of money to that guy until age 34, and that's James Johnson. And that's one of my problems with this roster, Chris, is we've talked about the duplication on this roster. And so if Justice Winslow is really going to grow in that role, it's hard to do it when there's a player with a similar skill set on the floor with him. And it's been challenging to play at times Justice Winslow and James Johnson together. And I know Spolster sort of went to it by necessity in the playoffs because he was starting James Johnson and he felt Winslow was playing well. And also he wasn't getting quite the offensive production out of Josh Richardson that he's gotten recently. And Ellington also was not shooting the ball quite as well as he's been shooting it. But here's the grades for James Johnson. And I think this might be a little bit skewed by the playoffs because I think this is a little better than I was anticipating. But 8% A. 36% 36% B, 50% C, and 6% D or F. So basically, people have him at about a C or a C plus. I thought in the playoff series he was in the B area somewhere. You know, I gave them, you know, he gave them some ball handling. I thought, you know, he competed, you know, physically, defensively. Obviously, you know, gotten a couple of confrontations too. So he definitely was into it. I thought we got the pretty good James Johnson, but the regular season was so uneven, Chris. Like, and the numbers are not that different than they were last year. Actually, they're a little bit down in every category, but the impact was different. I mean, you didn't see him kind of, he took over some fourth quarters last season, right? Like when he was on the floor, particularly with Tyler Johnson, they had that Johnson brothers connection. Like he took over a lot of those games. I can't remember many games he took over this year. And again, compare that to the end of the the previous season where he ended up starting him, you know, in the last couple of weeks. And and James Johnson was putting up like very healthy starting, starting numbers at the four spot never really happened this year where he was giving you that to you consistently. So I don't think it's a real tradable contract. I mean, I don't think it's a terrible contract right now. I think it might look like a terrible contract two years from now. But I would put him for his season, maybe a C-plus somewhere around there, which is about where our voters have it.
0: The contract for me is the worst bit of it. And I, I know probably I focused a bit too much on contracts in this podcast, but I think all the time players get measured up against what they're due to be paid. And so you look at... This year, 13.7. By the way, uh, the, the other thing that sticks out when you look at his Spotrack page is the thing that we mentioned, which is the whole idea of Heat players being rewarded despite not really you know, having that reputation or needing to pay them or being able to find suitable replicants, which is you look at over the course of James Johnson's career, this is by far—this is more than triple— what he's made in any other season and accounts for almost half of his career earnings. So you look at so last year he made four million dollars from Miami. That was his career high in salary, two and a half million on a two year deal from Toronto, six hundred and eighty thousand from Memphis, two point eight million from Sacramento. So this is not a player that you know has much of a reputation and he's thirty one years old. And so you're staring on the barrel next year it's fourteen point four The following year, it's 15.1. And then a player option in 2020-21 for James Johnson's age 33 season at $15.8 million. Again, just a player that doesn't represent value. And when you say players are uneven or inconsistent, that's the mark of not that good. And while you can say, well, he's got a ceiling. I mean, at one point, you stop talking about a ceiling for a 31-year-old player. He's an inconsistent player cuz he's just not that good. Uh, good players it's not because they have they, they turn in routinely better performances than players that aren't as good as no, they're more consistent on a night to night basis. They're going to give you high end performances and James Johnson is just not capable of that. He never has been and that's why several teams let him go. And so to me James Johnson gives you about what what I would expect. And so that that for me is the bit where you kind of lose me in terms of really wanting to get critical is with a lot of these players, I just don't view them as particularly, you know, upsetting or
2: disappointing because that's about what I expect from James Johnson is unevenness. One of the comments that Riley made I don't know about a year ago was that a lot of those contracts that he thought were signed in 2016 we're going to end up looking like terrible contracts and that there would be a lot of teams looking to move them because they were just a product of the inflated cap. And then, as you said, he didn't make that mistake in 2016, and then he made it in 2017 when the cap was flattening. Mm-hmm. So I, it's... Uh, you know that's you know when I look at James Johnson, it, like you said, it's difficult to separate it from the salary. He's look, he's a fine role player. He can give you a lot of different things, but I, to me, there's too much overlap with Justice. And if they end up making a decision to give up on Justice's potential, whatever that is, because they already have James Johnson, I think again that speaks to a lack of foresight. I've right, got a couple more guys to get here. Goran Dragic, first time All Star. Here were the uh, the polls on him. Twenty nine percent A. B, 14% C, 1% D or F. Again, I think that's just somebody who's got an ax to grind with him. So about B plus is where people have Goron. That's where I would have Goron. I I thought he wore down a little bit as the season went on. I, I think playing, you know, he's kind of done it both ways where he's played all summer. Or not played at all during the summer. Um, maybe played a little too much this year. I don't think he was expecting to necessarily win a European Championship. So credit to him for doing that. Uh, I did think we saw you know the fourth quarter numbers. What was a little troubling with him, you know, particularly going into the playoffs and in the playoffs was like the same thing happened with him with Dwayne that happened the last time, which is that he just stopped taking shots in the fourth and wasn't a presence at all. And I thought he had sort of taken a little bit more control earlier in the season, and then Dwayne came back, and the effect it had on Richardson, I think Dragic felt a little bit of that as well. Look, he's a solid NBA point guard. He competes. I think Heat fans appreciate that he cares Heat fans appreciate to that. I think in some ways he's kind of yin to Whiteside Jang a little bit there, and I think so So fans do relate to him. I think they'd like to see him stay. But again, his contract, you look at the contracts they have on the roster, Chris, his is still one of the more reasonable ones on the roster. Like Even though he may be a player in sort of, I would say, a slow decline, he's not in a fast decline right now, I can still see teams maybe having interest in him, maybe not as a 35-minute-a-game starting point guard, but maybe as a combo guard who, who plays you know 28 to 30 minutes on a really good team. So I think that's a movable deal. I just I think heat fans would be kind of sad if he goes though at this stage. All right, let's uh we're, we're just got real quick here uh because we, I didn't do polls on these two guys and I'm saving somebody for last here because I I think we're going to certainly want to delve into it. Two guys real quick. Just give me your grade for Wayne Ellington and Bam Adebayo.
0: Wayne Ellington, I'm going to go ahead and give him Man, he's tough because I
2: think a lot of fans grew
0: frustrated and I think you saw the defensive limitations with him, but he really does provide something that the Heat don't have, which is an ignitable, as Eric Spolster would like to say, three-point shooter. So I'm going to say B- minus for him and Bam for me is an A because... You might have envisioned ahead of the season where where is he going to find his minutes? Not only did he find his minutes, he found his minutes ahead of Whiteside. And so he represents someone that going forward is a real piece and someone that I think a lot of fans in my view is untradeable, but to me would represent a really valuable trade asset. And if we're saying that Hassan Whiteside isn't the future of NBA centers because of his physique or his lack of skill or his lack of movement, then Bam Adebayo is what the future looks like. Crazy athletic a bit more skilled, and doesn't necessarily need the ball in his hands, doesn't need possessions, isn't going to demand much. Bam Adebayo to me is the future. He is a Clint Capella type center, which for me is what the center looks like. Can defend on the perimeter at a reasonable level. It's obviously going to need to work on that area because I think that's something that centers don't grow up practicing. But to me has the makings to be what a future NBA center is going to look like. And the fact that you found that at, was it 14 in the draft, 13 in the draft? That's remarkable when you consider how often those kinds of picks in the mid-teens in the NBA draft just go fairly anonymous.
2: It's interesting you mentioned Capella, too, because the the Heat wanted to take Capella the year that they took uh, Shabazz Napier because LeBron wanted to take Shabazz Napier. Have so, the Heat uh, ever,
0: like, I, I feel like the Heat I,
2: do, do a lot
0: of there's a reference on the Levitard show called the Nigerian vegetable vendor where (laughs) they they, they read a story out which was that there was a a place in Nigeria that was selling human meat and they interviewed someone who was a vegetable vendor outside of that place he said I knew that was going on in there like I feel like the Heat very often like to kind of gloat about how they knew that they wanted someone who ended up being good they never they'll never like come out and say well we really wanted that center that ended up being in the league for two years and washed out like I feel like it's always the the 40th pick that was always going to be good
2: right And, and of course they didn't take Draymond Green and I when I heard at the time why Tim Hardaway was actually in the organization at that time and Tim was pounding the table on Draymond Green like this guy can play you should get him like he's going to help you and uh tim was told that they thought draymond was too out of shape too fat basically Hmm. to be a player in their system so yeah i mean there are some stories that they don't tell necessarily uh, (laughs) uh and others others that they like to tell um but when it comes to capella i heard that fairly early on like it was before clint capella became what he became for houston this year and i heard that from a couple of different people in the heat organization and one who's not prone to kind of pump up what they're doing all that much. There are some in the organization who will do that. The person who told me was not one of those. So I tend to believe that. I I think they they liked Capella because, uh, again, if you think about it, Capella is the kind of center uh, I think that Spolster would have liked to coach. And then, like you said, then they just drafted a facsimile of him. All right, so the last one here, because I I know we want to get into this quite a bit, and also because I I think this – we talk about recency bias. I think that played into this poll. Hassan Whiteside, Mm. A, 1%. B, 4%. C, 29%. D or F, this is not a small sample size, 66%. I look at this poll, and, and again, I'm going to try to get rid of my reputation as a white side basher because I haven't been, and I think this poll is totally unfair to Hassan. Like, he didn't have a D or F season. To say 66% of people say he had a D or F season, his per minute numbers this year were the same. Look at them from this year to last year. It's just that Eric trusted him with seven or eight fewer minutes. And again, Hassan had another ailment that kept him out for a long period of time. But look, his playoffs, yes, F, okay? <laughs> like, there's no other way to grade that. But his season, B- maybe, C- maybe? Like, I, I think to say that was a D or F is unfair.
0: I think, and this is for me, again, sort of where I come down on the Justice Winslow thing, and that is that a lot of people viewed his progression as linear, as it was going to continue to go up. And instead, it's flatlined, right? He hasn't progressed. He has not kicked on. Uh, the, the, the one thing that has gone down from him is field goal percentage. And then I think also physical explosiveness. The one thing that's happened is the league has continued to, A, figure him out because they were always going to. And that, for me, is the one thing that Whiteside can be accused of failing to do is not really having that counterpunch for when the league basically figures out, all right, you dunk. What else can you do? Right, You grab offensive rebounds and you put them back. Maybe he needs to work harder for offensive rebounds to make that a bigger part of his game. But there's just like not enough that he does that you know, sort of makes it seem like he's sort of figuring out that offensive game where he can have a reliable thing that he does. So if you're going to demand the ball, if you're going to demand minutes, what are you doing with the ball? What, like, what, what does your post-up look like? What does your jump shot look like? And I feel like there just isn't enough there. But that, for me, was always the case. He was just a dunker. And so, if that sort of explosive element of his game is gone, or not gone, but not as strong as it was, then you're kind of left with the center who's really good, who for me is still a really good center, who's overvalued at his contract. But again, I think the contract's going to be too much a part of the conversation. And then you kind of sort of look at the way that the playoffs played out. It's just only a further exaggeration of the league figuring him out and figuring out ways to play him off the floor. So. I don't feel like he's necessarily declined. For me, it just feels like the league has kind of changed around him and he hasn't grown. And you can criticize him for not growing, but I don't know where that room for growth was going to be. He hit his ceiling fairly quickly, and I think Heat fans and maybe perhaps the Heat organization expect a growth there both on and off the, flo- off the floor in terms of personality. It just never came. So you signed up for a player who's pretty good. But uh, he's not someone who has kicked on and grown from there. And that I can understand the frustration with, but that doesn't mean he's a
2: D or F level player. Yeah, I think it's totally unfair. I mean, so would you have him about where I had him for this year? C plus, B minus? Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Look, and people are then going to compare that to the contract. And look, we've done that with the other players here, with James Johnson, with Tyler Johnson. It's hard to take the contract out of the equation. I mean, you look at Goran Dragic as a B plus player this year, and you say what he's making, and you say, okay, in the modern NBA, That's about right. But when you say, okay, Hassan had a B minus to C plus season and he's making 20 whatever, 24, 25, 26 million dollars, that's where it becomes a problem. And and so and then you compound it. And I think this is, again, lack of foresight here. If he wasn't going to be able to adjust to the modern NBA, well, Hassan's going to get frustrated with that, like just from a personality perspective, like he's not a guy who's going to be able to say, okay, I get it. Right. The big center is not really the force of the league anymore. I have to change my game significantly. I mean, in a way that say Dwayne Wade always got it right. Like that's they're not the same personality. okay? like Dwayne always understood. Okay, LeBron's here now. Right. I'm going to do that thing that I did in the Olympics where I'm going to learn how to play off the ball again and I'm going to cut and I'm going to move because us both handling the ball at the top all the time is not going to work because he's freaking LeBron James. And at this stage, as great as I am. He's the best player in the world. And so Dwayne was able to process that and make the necessary changes. He's been able to process and say, this is what this team needs for me right now. And that's what I'm going to provide. When he played with Shaq, I'm going to get really good at feeding the posts and throwing lobs, right? Because I have Shaq. okay. and then Shaq wasn't there anymore. And it was on Dwayne to lead. And he was more of and he was just like, I'm going to lead the league in scoring because that's what we need. Hassan is not that personality. Hassan was never going to be able to make sort of that adjustment in his head. Like, okay, the league is not what it was. This team is not what it was. Let me see where I fit. And I think, again, when you talk to people with the heat, that's the difference between Adebayo and Whiteside. And why I think they'd like to go forward with Adebayo is I think they feel that Bam, even some of Bam's quotes, I'll just fit in wherever coach needs me, right? And I'm going to try to plug that hole. Whiteside is not a hole plugger. That's not the way he views it. He looks back at guys like Shaq and says, that should be me or i should be mb and and that's just not going to happen and so i think that's a lack of foresight on the heat's part to not say this is not a great the way that the game is changing is not going to be a great personality fit for for hassan either and so maybe we shouldn't rely on him so much but again that's hindsight from my part because i was not against them giving him that contract yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think we close there right yeah, i think that's yeah. good. i think I, I, you I, I think nailed it I think that's a good place to close. All right. So thank you for listening. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, on Google play on stitcher on Castbox. Uh, check out our account at five Reasons sports. And again, I want to mention this, uh, definitely download our other podcast balls cast uh, Miami heat beat, but I'm going to give a little bit more love this time. to three yards per carry, because we're in NFL draft season and they're doing stuff. Nobody else is doing on the draft. So definitely go to three yards per carry. They have a Twitter feed uh, with a number three, or also download them on the same places that you download us. Thank you for listening.
1: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. After the end of a good fight, you deserve
0: an ice cold reward. Medella is the mark of a fighter.